Good morning and welcome to Midpoint, your midweek, mid-morning source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm Shelley Reback, and I'm here with volunteers Jessica Green running the soundboard and Barbara Fling who will be answering your calls. Today is May 18th, 2022. It's four days since the racist, hate-filled murder of 10 black people in a grocery store in the city of Good Neighbors, Buffalo, New York, actually my hometown. This year is only 19 weeks in, and there have already been 199 mass shootings in the United States. We ended last year, 2021, with 693 mass shootings per the Gun Violence Archive. And the year before saw 611. And in 2019, before COVID, we had 417. So you can see there's been an enormous increase in mass shootings since COVID. These shootings are a uniquely American phenomenon. To suffer through and to tolerate about 10 mass shootings a week happens nowhere else in the world. Why is that? And what can we do about it? We're going to find out more from our guest, Gail Powell Cope, the Tampa lead for Moms Demand Action on gun safety. And a little bit later, we'll be hearing from Crystal Turner, a survivor of gun violence. Welcome to WMNF, Gail. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, up until the Buffalo mass shooting, it seemed that there was a very good chance that Governor DeSantis was going to expand the legislative special session on property insurance that starts next week. And it seemed like he was going to ask them to take up the issue of permitless carry, which is sometimes erroneously called constitutional carry, even though there's not anything particularly constitutional about it. But now, after 10 people picking out strawberries and buying birthday cakes were gunned down in their neighborhood market. Gail, do you think the public is going to be receptive to the idea that anyone, anywhere, should be allowed to carry a concealed weapon without a permit and without any firearms training? I certainly hope the tide is changing. Um, I'm from Buffalo, too. Oh. And buff- <laughs> the Buffalo shooting hit me very hard. Yeah. Um, as others have, but that one especially, um, because I, I could envision the area, and I've, I've walked those streets, and I know people up there. So um, it's renewed my sense to keep advocating for safer gun sense policy that's going to keep uh, people safe. It's going to keep um, um, arms out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. You know, racism and the extremism that's taken over um, certain segments of our, our um, population, our country has to be dealt with. So there's a lot of issues um, that go into curbing gun violence. It's, there's no one solution that's going to fix everything. Yeah, you know, the general public seems to view mass shooters as people who are totally crazy, like they're in, they're all insane, because that seems to fit with the idea of people snapping, as if these people are totally detached from reality when they commit these horrible crimes. But that's not really the case, is it? I mean, the Buffalo shooter example clearly shows that there seems to be a very rational thought process and there's detailed planning that goes into carrying out these mass shootings. 
The suspect in the Buffalo attack, he left behind, it seems like, an enormous trove of evidence about his plans. Uh, and, um, you know, he left behind this 180-page racist screed. He donned body armor. He, he purchased and hid his, his weapons and ammunition from his parents in his home. And he even figured out how to live stream his attack. And he's not the only one that has done that, that has, you know, committed a mass shooting after what appeared to be very careful, well-thought-out plans. And also, in most of these cases, there's a trail of behavioral warning signs. So before the shooting, again, the Buffalo shooter was known to have chopped off the head of a stray cat. He was investigated by law enforcement for threats to shoot up his high school, and he was even admitted for a psych evaluation, wasn't he? I, I, yeah, you're nodding. Yes, yes, yes. he was. <laughs> it's yes. radio. We have to speak up. But uh, according to uh, his writings, um, the Buffalo shooter, and let me be clear, I'm not using his name. I'm no longer using the name of any of these mass shooters. They are not um, going to get any acknowledgement personal uh, satisfaction, uh, the hordes of people who, who support them and agree with them are not going to, you know, hear their names rung off, you know, on the radio, at Thank least from for me. That. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so we're just going to call him the Buffalo Shooter. But according to his writings, he persuaded them all uh, when he was admitted for a psych avail that it was, his statements were nothing but a joke when he threatened to shoot up his high school. And he was released without a finding of mental defect that would have prohibited him from purchasing a firearm. Mm -hmm. um, So I have to ask, you know, how much does the permit requirement really help protect us when we have these giant gaps in our social, uh, you know, um, uh, mental health and and behavioral health Situations We have these enormous gaps that people fall through, like the Buffalo shooter. Um, So, you know, how much would it would have does the permit requirement really help close that gap? Well, what you're talking about uh, very well, I might add, is the complex um, nature of gun violence in America. Um, I look at gun violence as a criminal, social, legal, moral, ethical problem in our country. And so one intervention isn't going to solve everything. It's I come from a patient safety background, and we, we learned that in patient safety, that there are complex systems, there's a patient, culture. Patient? You mean medical patient? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. patient safety. And so we realized early on that one intervention, one size fits all, is not going to work to curb patient safety. And so we, we look at it as look at the um, root causes and try to intervene where we can, you know, break the, the chain, the causal links. And, you know, you described very well all the um, places that that or all the things that fell through that should have caught that shooter in Buffalo before he shot. And he's not the only one. I mean, we saw he's that not. with the Parkland shooter as well. You know, the Parkland shooter had been noticed by the system, let's put it that way. That's you true. know, um, there had been complaints about him, I believe, to the FBI and, and perhaps other law enforcement. And again, 
you know, these complaints, uh, you know, didn't serve right. to stop him right. from his his plan to shoot up the high school. Right. One of the things I think we need to do is is get people all on the same page. And I think about back to um, when after the the um, planes, um, you know, crashed into the um, Twin Towers, all of a sudden we realized that we didn't have systems set in place to for agencies to talk to one another, for instance, you know, to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together to say, oh, we've got a problem. So I think that, you know, we, from what I understand, we've handled that pretty well in government. And I think we need to do something similar with, with gun violence and bring all the people to the table at a very high level, figure out where the communication gap are you know why wasn't um, that communicate? Why wasn't that um, passed on to others about the the psych evaluation? You know why didn't they um, in New York State make sure that he couldn't you know legally purchase firearms after that? Why was he allowed to go to? Why was he able to go to Pennsylvania right across the border from where he lived, who has laxer gun laws and pick up you know um, magazines that held you know multiple rounds? So it, you know, we're already, you know, I'm talking about this and it gets more complex and more complex. And the permitless carry, again, it's not going to solve all gun violence, but, but research has shown, and the research is pretty preliminary right now because there have been a flood, there have been a, a number of states who recently have, have passed permitless carry, and the research is starting to be done. But what we're finding now is that states that have passed the permitless carry have more gun violence. And there was just another study that I read about um, recently out of Johns Hopkins that found out there is more uh, police shooting in states where um, they have relaxed the um, permit. Permitting process. Well, well, let's break that down a little bit. Um, one of the things that I've seen is that states that have weakened their firearms permitting system have experienced an 11% increase in handgun homicide mm-hmm. rates. Yes. Um, and they've also experienced a 13 to 15% increase in violent crime rates right. generally. So now if you're a law enforcement officer, a street cop, you're out there on the street it, it, it is known to you in places where uh, there is a, a weaker firearm permitting uh, process. It's known to you, no doubt, that there's going to be more guns on the street. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be, I imagine, quite rightfully more concerned and more fearful that one of your street encounters is going to be with a person who's armed. Um and so it would explain, to me at least, it would make sense that there would be more law enforcement, um, you know, violence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let, let me just add one thing, too, and that is um, with permitless carry, uh, what it does is it drops the requirements for training about how to use a firearm. So theoretically, somebody could go and buy a gun legally um, and in a state where they have permitless carry, buy it legally, put it in their pocket, walk out the door and be free to shoot as they wanted to. Well, I don't know about be free to shoot, but certainly if they shot, they would be doing so from a position of complete lack of training. Correct. You know, training has been shown to improve gun safety. Well, one would think. 
You and know? especially training that includes hands-on, you know, kind of uh, training, which is not universal either across all states. The, the requirements vary in terms of what kind of training is needed. Yeah, I imagine um, much of the training would also focus on keeping the weapon out of the hands of children right, in that's the a home, big issue. for example. Um, you know, permitless yeah. carry would remove any of the safety training that is required now. Correct. Um, and so that would certainly make keeping a weapon in the home more dangerous. Um, and I, also, like, you know, the, the, you know what, what the NRA says about, um, you know, good people need guns to, to, um, right. to defend against bad people. A good guy with people. a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if they're not trained and they don't know how to use it, you know, we're talking about a lethal weapon here. Bystanders get shot. And that happened in Tampa a couple months ago with a little girl in the back of a car. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's not the way to live. That's not the way I want to live. You know, going back for a second to the issue of there being more law enforcement violence in states where the permit laws have been uh, removed. You know, one of the things that I found interesting in doing the research for the show is that there have been a number of law enforcement agencies around the country mm -hmm. that have come out publicly against permitless carry because they believe that it puts more guns on the street. Uh, it puts more guns in the hands of people who are not trained to use them, who are not trained in safety measures. Um, and, and it basically endangers the lives of law enforcement personnel Correct. more than, you know, when there are permit, when there is permit requirements and there is safety training required. So I, right. I found it interesting that that there is this law enforcement community nationally that's come out publicly against permitless carry. Um, and so before this show, I contacted our local law enforcement. I'm not a reporter, but I, I wanted to know what was the position of, mm -hmm. of our local law enforcement on permitless carry because uh, you know, we thought that prior to the Buffalo shooting, there was a very good chance that the governor was going to add this issue, uh, add this proposed legislation into this next special session that starts next week. So I, I reached out to the Tampa Police Department. I reached out to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, and I reached out to the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. And I asked them, uh, what's the position of your agency on permitless carry in Florida. And basically, none of them, you know, had a position. They all basically punted saying that, you know, it's the legislature's or the governor's responsibility to make the laws, and it's our responsibility to enforce them. And I, that frankly surprised me um, because uh, I would imagine that law enforcement agencies everywhere would be very concerned mm -hmm. about permitless carry. But our local law enforcement agencies did not uh, yeah. take a position on it. You know, it, it surprised me, too, um, that our local law enforcement agencies aren't supporting this because... Um, Especially the TPD, Tampa Police Department, is part of our, you know, regional coalition to end gun violence. And I think um, you had Freddie Barton on a couple uh, weeks ago, or else it was a different MNF show, who is um, 
who heads up Safe and Sound um, Tampa, Hillsboro. And he has brought together an incredible coalition of groups, um, like-minded groups, uh, to decrease gun violence. And the the Tampa Police Department comes and they support, you know, our our activities. And you know, they've spoken at our activities. So I'm, I'm I was a little bit surprised by what you found. Yeah. Well, you know, in fairness, Chief O'Connor was not available to come on the show. I that's the other thing. I invited all of these law enforcement agencies, uh, the the chief in Tampa and the two sheriffs in Pinellas and Hillsborough, to come on the show or to send somebody that they designate to talk about permitless care. And none of them, um, you know, had anybody available. So I guess I should ask, is mom's demand locally going to, uh, you know, start working on these law enforcement agencies to get them to take a position against permitless carry? Because just because yeah. this this uh, proposed legislation may not come up next week doesn't mean it's it's dead. It's going to come yeah. up, right. you know, again. Um, and uh i mean it may it may yet come up next week we don't know it may but but you know still it's not going to be dead and so i'm wondering is that going to be on mom's demands agenda to to you know lobby these local law enforcement agencies to come out against permitless carry Oh, yes, it's on our agenda. <laughs> and um, we have relationships with people in uh, in the um, Hillsborough um, Sheriff's Office and the Tampa Police Department. Um, we keep the dialogue open. We talk about this one-on-one and in groups. And so I... I have to I have to be confident that they're going to change their minds and they'll do the right thing. I mean, you know, they they've shown us that um they're willing to work with us on preventing gun violence, supporting community activities, supporting community groups, getting out into the communities that are most that are most affected. So, I have to remain optimistic that they'll come around. All right. Well, I wish you luck on that. Thank you. Um, you know, what? so much of gun violence that we've seen in the last few years has been motivated by hate. You know, racism, bigotry, unfounded hysterical fear. Uh, the Buffalo shooter was radicalized by social media, he claimed, into believing in this the great replacement. I can't even credit it with being called a theory. It's actually a horror story uh, told by racists about Jews conspiring to replace white Americans with black and brown people. And it has as its goal the idea that racial minorities must be stopped and eliminated so that Americans can be saved for straight, white, evangelical Christians. They want to create some sort of Christian ethnostate, just like Nazi Germany with a master race of straight white men in charge. Um, so it's ironic to me that right when we're faced with this spreading hate and bigotry and the violence that it promotes, Florida is passing laws prohibiting the teaching of critical race theory, which isn't taught anyway, but the ban, that ban has chilled the teaching of anything having to do with our history of race in America. And the DeSantis administration has been banning textbooks that encourage children to develop empathy and to respect and and to develop tolerance by using social emotional learning. The, these are all topics that we've talked about on the show over the last you know, couple of months. Right. Um, and so, you know, how can we meet the challenges of responding to the 
I don't know, septic allure of social media like 4chan and 8chan without the tools that we need to teach our kids empathy and without being allowed to teach you know, anti-racist education. I don't know how we're going to respond to that, but it seems that a corollary to the work of Moms Demand directly on gun safety and gun law reform, I would imagine, has to be uh, to work with uh, the various groups that that are working against hate, right. you know? Uh, is that something that Moms Demand is is does too? Oh, definitely. Um, at the beginning of each of our meetings, we read a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. So it's which might be banned in Florida now <laughs> after the new well, stop woke law. I'll still do it. Um, and it's it's. A I advise you to remain silent <laughs> on that. Okay. <laughs> Speaking as an attorney. Yeah. Um, but seriously, um, you you just. Um, said a lot in a very short period of time that's again isn't going to be fixed with one one magic bullet you know uh, president <laughs> bullet, huh? <laughs> yeah that's that was ironic um the president yesterday called the white supremacists uh poison in our country that we have to do everything we can to get rid of and one of the and I don't know exactly how to do that, except for um, keep talking about what we're doing and hold those people accountable before it gets to where there's a mass shooting. And we're talking about not just um, Buffalo, but we're talking about the shootings in Pittsburgh, El Paso, other places that were racially motivated. Um, I think one thing, concrete thing that we can do, anybody can do today, is write your senator and, and ask them to... Um, to uh, well, what's the word? To take, take up this legislation that well, the House has already passed, right? Take, take up that legislation, but also um, support the appointment of an ATF director. We've gone without an ATF director, I believe, for a whole administration and seven a half. Seven years. Yeah. Seven and we, years. Seven years. Could. We need somebody in that position who can do what we did after Al-Qaeda. You know, pull all the agencies together, pull all the community partners together and figure out how we can make a system so that people don't fall through the cracks. And, you know, uh, we, catch the, we catch it earlier before a shooting occurs. Yeah. Now, Biden has proposed a new nominee, Steve Dettelbach, mm-hmm. who's a former U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Ohio. And the Senate needs to take up that nomination uh, at this point. They do. And also take up all this common sense gun legislation uh, that have already that has have already been passed by the House. Uh, there we have the Enhanced Background Checks Act, which would close the Charleston loophole that allowed the Charleston shooter. Uh, who shot up the church, the AME church, to purchase a 45 caliber handgun despite his criminal history. And there's also legislation in waiting to require background checks for anyone who purchases a gun and to give the FBI more time to vet flagged buyers uh, of firearms. Uh, And basically, in order to do that, the Democrats have to get rid 
of the filibuster, which is an idea that's been kicked around for a number of reasons. but Or, or make sure that um, we vote in gun sense candidates to in, all levels of government, from local school boards up through the president. And that's a, that's a program that Moms Demand Action has, so that they send out questionnaires, and based on their, their uh, responses, they may be deemed as a gun sense candidate. So you're seeing that more and more, um, you know, candidates... Uh, espousing that. Yeah. So uh, let me just um, ask uh, my listeners here, what do you think? How should we be responding to these mass shooters before they shoot? Uh, Give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. But I'm interested in hearing what you think are some of the ways that we should be responding to these mass shooters. Um, We've covered a few here and I'm sure that our smart listeners at WMNF um, have some ideas also about what to do. Um, I want to take a minute and uh, run through a a PSA I've got here uh, with some important information for people who are, for whatever reason, in in the legal system, in the court system. Um, Do you have any legal questions about your, your own circumstances? Because if you do, you're in luck. There's a free community workshop where you can learn your legal rights, and it's sponsored by the George Edgecombe Bar Association, Bay Area Legal Services, and some local law firms, and they will be available to give out free legal advice. Now, how often do you hear that? Free legal (laughs) advice from 9 a.m. until noon this coming Saturday on May 21st at the Allen Temple AME Church which is located at 2101 Lowe Street. And you can check out our WMNF.org website for more information about this opportunity to get free legal services. Um, So, okay, listeners, I'm going to give you a chance to weigh in uh, briefly before we bring in our next guest. Uh, I have Terry in Plant City. Terry, you're on the air. Hello, good morning. Um, I just wanted to say quickly that I don't know... I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak up, Terry. I don't know, Terry. I can't really hear you. You should get to a place where you have a good signal and call us back. I apologize, but we can't, uh, we're not receiving your communications from the outside world. All right, call us back. Uh, We have Bill in Bradenton. Bill, you're on the air. Add something. My, uh, I'm a uh, uh, gun owner. Uh, You're a gun uh, owner? Yeah, please speak up. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a gun owner, and I have a uh, 20 gauge, which is a smaller shotgun. And I mainly get it because I'm, uh, after a hurricane, uh, you know, law enforcement is uh, far away and, and sometimes uh, break-ins do occur during, the, you know, a disaster. Well, well let I, me stop I, you right there before you go further. So if someone's okay. breaking into your house, are you going to shoot them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, my wife, uh, my wife and I, if anyone break, uh, breaks in and comes in, uh, uh, no problem. I, the, uh, I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing, but uh, the best way to avoid that is to 
not break into someone's home early in the uh, early in the night. One other thing, um, I totally support um, people learning how to use their guns uh, appropriately. If someone needs a carry permit, they should know how to use it, and I like that program. I have no problem with background checks, but what keeps failing is all these people who do not, you know, who shouldn't own a gun because they're, uh, you know, mental illness or they're flagged, but they can buy guns anyway because the uh, the state or the federal government is not doing their job in reporting it. Uh, you know, if if we don't enforce the, the laws that we have on the books, having more laws on the books that may or may not be enforced may not be the solution. I'd like to see the laws on the books, which could have stopped many of the other uh, instances. Last point, mass shootings are less than 5% of the total. So when you talk about gun violence, you're talking about, you know, it, it always comes after, after a mass shooting, you know, 10 people or so. Uh, but the, you know, the real mass shooting is uh, in the inner city, um, uh, I, you know, it's other places too, but, you know, when you try and focus in on less than 5%, you're not really going to be dealing with gun violence. You know, you need to uh, focus in. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Bill. I appreciate that. And I assume that based on what you what you said, that you'll be working hard to make sure that we uh, don't have uh, permitless carry laws in the state of Florida. I imagine that based on what you've shared with us today about your opinions about the need for enforcement, that the last thing you would want is no enforcement at all. I, I, on that, we agree. Okay, Absolutely. terrific. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to WMNF. Okay, I'm going to bring Terry back and see if we can uh, hear him this time. Terry, you're on the air. Can you hear me now? Uh, perfectly. Great. Um, I was just going to say, you really, you just can't legislate against evil. An evil person is an evil person. If they want to hurt people, they will hurt people and just use a different tool. Do y'all recall in the 80s? Did you live in this area in the 80s, ladies? I'm sorry, what? I said, did y'all live in this area, the Tampa Bay area in the 80s by chance? In the 80s? I did. Okay, do you remember Billy Ferry, the name Billy Ferry? Oh, yeah, the supermarket yeah. Fire bomber. He didn't, have a gun. he didn't have a gun. Right. He was a certified nut. His parents even tried to get him committed, but the system didn't have him arrested or didn't keep him in jail. So, lo and behold, gasoline will always be legal. Anybody can get it. He went and bought a gallon of gas, went to the poor grocery store, doused everybody, and they died a horrible death. Yeah. So... My point is... Yeah, but you know what? But you know what? The numbers of supermarket fire bombers compared to the numbers of people who uh, commit mass violence with firearms, it doesn't even compare. But you're missing my point, ma'am. My point is, let's say theoretically, you, you eliminated every single firearm in the world. There's still going to be gasoline for people to buy to do that. There's still going to be vehicles for somebody to go in a crowded city 
floor of their pickup truck, hop the curb, and run over 80,000 people before the dead bodies finally stop the vehicle. Right, but, but, but you're right that there's, there are evil people and there are truly insane people in the world. But the rest of the world has evil people. The rest of the world has truly insane people. And yet they do not have the mass... Uh, shootings that we have. They do not have these, you know, uh, the, the, the numbers of mass shootings that we have. What did I say? Something over 600 um, last year alone. You don't right. see that around the world, and you can't tell me that Americans are more evil or more crazy than people around the world. And I think that including in those mass shootings, I think it's something if it's like four more people, like all of the uh, shootings in Chicago... All of that, that's just, you know, that's part of those statistics. Um, so the statistics are kind of skewed on a lot of this stuff. Anyway, no, no, the statistics on this is clear. Or evil people. All you're right. Just, you're not going to... All right, and I would just, like I said, throw it back to you that there are evil people worldwide, and we don't see this kind of mass violence worldwide that we have in America. It's unique to us, and so there has to be something here that is uniquely a problem uh, that they don't have in the rest of the world. And, and, you know, I submit and my guest submits that it's the availability and accessibility uh, of firearms. So, Well, I would submit to you that the people of Ukraine... Wish that they had our laws right now. Well, you know they're getting a lot of they're getting a lot of firepower from NATO and from the United States. Right, and but those people. When, but when but we're not at war in America. Out, we're right. not at war. We do not need the the yeah, firepower we, we Ukraine want, needs. We want to keep it that way. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Well, thank you for your 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 thoughts, Terry. It's certainly a, a, another opinion. Appreciate it. I'm going to bring in our um, our second guest. Uh, Crystal Turner, who is unfortunately, sadly, a victim of gun violence herself. And I want her to share her story with, with our listeners. Crystal, you're on the air. Can you hear us? I can. Good morning. Good, good, good morning. morning. Thank you for your patience. Oh, not a problem at all. Um, and let me just first say, uh, before I share my story, um, the previous two callers um, both made very different and valid points from different perspectives. Um, I am very pleased to hear, as Bill indicated, in being a gun owner, gun owner, that he support support common sense gun laws that make sense. Um, you know, as yeah, me too. Impacted, impacted personally by gun violence um, with the death of my daughter and son together on April first of twenty fifteen. Um, it does and warms my heart to know that uh, what we've always known as I've gotten into this fight is that there are many gun owners who simply support common sense. Um, I think when I listened to um, the commentary before me when I came on, what was important for us all to remember is, is that, um, as Terry said, there is also another side. But we have to look at all of those sides, and even importantly, we have to look at what does that impact look like from all different lenses. And as someone who is now seven years later still living with the permanent loss, the permanent changes that have happened in my life and my family's life, my community, because we've all been impacted by personal gun violence, um, 
it is sometimes disheartening when we just don't look at if we created better policy, if we created and supported common sense laws and policies that can make all of our communities safer. As you said, Shelley, when we look at other countries, other countries are not um, ignoring or putting a Band-Aid on long-term and permanent problems that plague our whole world. And they act quickly when there is a a terrible incident, like in New Zealand, for example, when the New Zealand shooter uh, shot up that mosque um, and killed... uh, a number of Muslims in that uh, terrible event in New Zealand, they acted immediately to pass more stringent um, and restrictive gun laws. And yet, you know, I see that in in the United States, you know, I'm still looking for our government's response. I mean, President Biden's response to the shooting in Buffalo um, his statement after the shooting, it made no mention of gun policy reform that was aimed at preventing these horrors. And it seems like here, because it's so commonplace, we get one new cycle of thoughts and prayers and calls for, oh, something has to be done. And then nothing changes, despite the fact that there's an overwhelming support among the public for stricter background checks and an assault weapons ban, at least. Um, so, you know, we still have this legislation that's languishing in the, uh, in the Congress where several bills have been passed by the House, but they haven't been taken up by the Senate. And it seems like unless we get rid of the filibuster, it will continue to languish. So I I need to ask my, my listeners here, um, how important an issue is gun safety legislation to you? Uh, when you think about what you want our national and our state leadership to focus on, do you want them to focus on permitless carry, on putting more guns on the street, or do you want them to focus on, as Crystal says, common sense gun legislation and gun reform? Uh, does that rank at the top of your concerns? If you if you have something to uh, to add to this conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Um, so, Crystal, um, I, I, I hate to, you know, to ask you to go back to that horrible time when you had your own personal experience with gun violence, but perhaps it would, you know, help the listeners understand why you have have become such a staunch advocate for gun safety legislation. So would you mind sharing that with us? Uh, not at all, Shelley. Thank you. Um, I woke up on April 1st, 2015 and went to work just like I would any other day, excited about that day because um, I had the very great pleasure of working for my daughter. My daughter at 22 years old uh, became a young 24-hour daycare center owner in the state of Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, to be specific. And in eight years, she grew that small business to five 24-hour daycare centers and a training center. And on that morning, I woke up and got into the office at 845, expecting to be trained to become a first aid and CPR instructor. 
we came into the facility, uh, my two daughters, my younger son and myself and one of our other employees and instructor, we completed our morning session. And I did something that I normally don't do, which is I left the office. Um, I left the office to take care of some business and wrote with my oldest daughter to one of our daycares that happened to be on the same street. Um, while she took care of some things, I took care of some things, and we were picking up lunch. At exactly 12 noon, my phone, my phone rang, and I recognized through the caller ID the young lady who was on the other end, and I said, hey, Tamika, and what I was met with was the tears that I could hear, her screaming, saying, Miss J and Mr. D had just been shot and killed by Mr. Roy, who happened to be my daughter's estranged husband, my son-in-law, and the father of my daughter's two children. In that short time frame of roughly about 30 to 20 minutes, everything about my life changed. Of course. When I arrived back to the scene, it was just like what we see on TV. Yellow tape, bodies on the ground, in a vehicle, police everywhere, and a crowd of people. I'm so sorry that that uh, happened to you and your family, Crystal. Um, you know, you. there's nothing any of us can say to really, um, you know, make this your experience any better. It's it's just a tragedy. But it does point out that somehow your son-in-law had access to a firearm. Mm -hmm. And had he not had access to a firearm, perhaps he would have tried to commit violence in some other way but I have to believe it wouldn't have been as easy as it was right. with a firearm now my phone also add, Shelley, mm -hmm. um, before we move on I apologize no um, it wasn't just firearm I found out um, through the uh, police investigation um, and our trial which actually took three years believe it or not um, that he came with his weapon of choice was a nine millimeter gun which by itself could have still did what he intended to do, as the previous caller said, when we talk about evil people, that weapon by itself could have taken their lives. He came with a 9 millimeter gun that had been reformatted to have an attached magazine clip. There were 22 bullet casings found on the scene. My son had three in him and my daughter had four. There was also a police-involved shooting with my son-in-law um, and our local police at that time, Columbus, Ohio PD, that took place. So the whole aftermath could have been a whole lot more bodies, um, a whole lot more thoughts and prayers right. had it not been for quick actions by our local police department. So I do want to point that out as well. Right. Well, thank you for that. My phones are blowing up here. Uh, Crystal, please stay with us uh, yes. and uh, let me take a couple calls here. We have uh, Rob from Thanota Sasa, who's been very patient. Rob, you're on the air. Rob, are you with us? Hello? Okay, can't hear Rob. Hello? Oh, there you are. Okay, okay Rob. Yeah, my phone is on mute. Um, what what um, Rob, we're having trouble. You sound like you're talking through water. Can you get to a place where your phone is uh, clear? Is that better? Much better. Thank you. Okay, I, I unplugged my earbuds. Sorry. I, I wanted to comment that, uh, you know, attitudes are really the, the problem as well as the availability of guns. Um, 
because if a person thinks that they're justified, you know, and there are all these toxic ideas out there and conspiracy theories, and the people that believe them, they believe them. And if you feel somehow that you're a soldier in a cause, just like someone in the military, um, you're willing to put your life on the line or sacrifice your life for a cause that you believe is important enough. And I think there, um, I mean, there, there are behavior, all kinds of behaviors that I can't, would never have happened 20 years ago. Out here in Tenota Sassa by the post office, two people have gigantic signs uh, on the edge of their property that say, F Trump and F you if you voted for him. And right around the corner, there's nine, ten-year-old kids riding around their bicycles, you know. I mean, this would have seemed outrageous even t- ten years ago, I think. But now people do that with impunity, and apparently no one censures them, no one calls them out on it. And I think this builds until you get one person willing to go the extra, you know, go over the limit and commit violence. So what is your proposed solution to this, Rob? Well, I think there has to be public support for, in some sense, stigmatizing people that hold these beliefs. Now, that's going to be very difficult because everybody's in such a separate camp, no one listens to the other person. And I'm not sure how to go about that, but as long as um, I think these uh, these ideas remain, you know, in the mainstream... Well, let's take, your, let's take your example. I mean, one thing that you could consider doing would be getting together a coalition of neighbors, especially right. parents who have young kids, to go to that neighbor's house and say, hey, you know, uh, we really resent this huge banner here and, you know, this uh, idea that you're promoting in the neighborhood in front of our little kids and the, yeah. you know, the curse words. I could imagine that happening, but I can also imagine you, Rob, trying to solicit your neighbors to get involved in that and having neighbors be, tell you, well, I'd love to help, Rob. You know, I agree with you completely, but I'm afraid I'm going to get shot if I go to that house. Well, I, I actually, if it was my neighborhood, I might do something like that. But I live a little bit away. But, you know, I go, I go down there to the post office quite often. That's where I saw it. I don't, I don't see that in my neighborhood. But I do think that there's much more fear among people, uh, you know, being more confront, sure. more, con- you know, t- to confront their neighbors or, or people, um, you know, who, who speak out in ways that years ago, like you said, would be just not tolerated. You know, there's more fear. I know that as people drive around in Florida, um, you know, road rage is a huge issue. And there are so many motorists who are armed that, you know, the idea of, of um, you know, confronting someone on the road, even just, you know, flipping them off is now, you know, really dangerous. I don't know that anybody should do that anymore. Um, I I mean, maybe they shouldn't have ever done it, but certainly it's much more dangerous today. Yeah, and, you know, the the, the ultimate culprit, I think, in all of this is is these, um, on these social media sites, because it used to be if you were a John Burke Society member uh, or a member of some other very fringe group, you maybe you had a pamphlet or a magazine that was passed along under in the underground. You know, you didn't really have access to the mainstream or to to the average person who might be, who might be susceptible to this, but you know didn't know about it. But now the genie is kind of out of the bottle. And right. I think that is the big question: is how do you put the genie back in the bottle? That's right. I appreciate your calling, Rob. Thank you, and thank you great for your show. patience. Appreciate it. I've got a lot of calls here, so we're going to take a couple more. I've got CJ in Sulphur Springs. You're on the air. Thank you for being patient. 
Okay, can't hear you, CJ. You got to get to a place where your phone works. I'm, I'm so sorry. I cannot hear you, and you've been patient. But call me back when your phone is, uh, is working. All right, I've got uh, Steve in St. Pete. Steve, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, you got to look at the historical thing. You go back to the Second Amendment, but you know, in the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia was the first crime watch and crime investigated group that happened right after the revolution because the founding revolutionaries did not want to be overthrown like they did when they took the gun up against Great Britain. So the well-regulated militia was the right to bear arms to keep society civil. So you had to investigate a murder, you had to investigate a rape in the early colonial days. Now, today... Now, you know, that's not... I'm not disputing what you say, but that is not an understanding of the Second Amendment that is shared by by all Americans. Yeah, they don't interpret it that way. Right. Okay, because... Which is why, for example, what we are calling permitless carry is by gun rights supporters called constitutional carry. Um, It's the same thing. When they say constitutional carry, they're referring to a completely unrestricted ability to carry concealed weapons anywhere, anytime, any place without a permit and without any kind of safety training. Which is is morally wrong, and I'll get into that. Uh, Well, get into it quickly, Steve, because I've got a lot of calls here. Okay, both parties are duopoly. We have two conservative parties that walk lock, stock, and barrel on everything. They have a few identity differences, but same party. They're both pro-war. They're both pro-gun. Death sells in America. It's profitable. 7,000 Americans die every day in this country, which most people don't know. Okay, well, we've got Democrats who are proposing gun reform legislation. Yeah, but nothing's happened. Well, that's because we that's because we have a filibuster available in the Senate. No, no, but it's not going to change. It's not going to change because they serve the gun profiteers, let alone the other corporations that make billions of dollars off death. That's the same reason why we're fighting a problem. Okay, so what what is the solution then, Steve? Well, the solution is is people, and the only way you're going to get, excuse me. The only way that you get people in authority, the ruling class, is cost them money. In other words, people have to stop Okay, so you, one of the solutions that you would be in favor of then would be lawsuits um, against... Well, the- no, I, first of all, I would pass legislation, if you could, but okay. parties won't. You all have right. a five-year mandatory listing that you have to be in armed forces, or you have to be in the police force, or do public civil... Uh, you know, contribution to your society if you want to own a gun. Okay, now, the, the, that's a, that's the, one the, idea. To say, is the hunter? There'd be a season. You apply for the license. You get your gun. After the season's over, you turn it in. All right, so I appreciate to, that, Steve. Okay. But I'm going to have to cut you off because we are now. running out of time. But thank, thank you. you for your thoughts. I'm going to give CJ in Sulphur Springs one more chance uh, to get on the air. St- CJ, you're here. Hello, how y'all doing? Okay, I can hear you now. So let's be brief. Be quick, CJ, because we're running out of time. All right. You have to take training to get a CCW. That's a carry permit. And uh, you have to be without a felony on your record. And uh, Or be declared a mental defective, right. 
Well, that's in the forms that you have to go through before you get the training. Right. But in any case, if you're speaking of the guy with the gasoline can, if one of those people there were carrying a concealed weapon, they could have stopped that before it happened. And the same thing with a lot of other situations. I would say people use discretion if they're going to shoot somebody to stop them from doing something. Well, CJ, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me just point out that in the case of the Buffalo shooter, there was an armed security guard who actually shot at the shooter and tried to stop him. He's the quintessential example of the good guy with a gun trying to stop the bad guy with the gun. And instead, the good guy with the gun got shot and the shooter went on to shoot, you know, uh, nine more people. And the good killed. guy was killed. Yeah, the good guy was killed, and nine more people were killed too. So the you know, guy with guns. You know, guns are going to kill people. People carry guns like uh, they're going to have this open carry thing uh, without background check or something like that. That's insane. I mean, if you're going to put. So you're in fa- you're in favor of uh, permits and safety training. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, then I hope you lobby your legislators in the state of Florida, your state house and and state senators about that, because I think it's going to come up in the near future. So thank you very much for your call, CJ. I appreciate it. Um, We've got time for, well, well, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to bring in Jeff from Citrus Park. Jeff, I have one minute for you, less than a minute. You better be quick. Okay. As quickly as I can. Um, I'd like for people to know that you can buy Mylar clothing. It's available in a lot of different sizes and shapes, hoodies, um, just windbreakers. That would help protect you and your family. The other thing is I would support legislation for uh, people to be required to call 911 every time they have to leave their house and they're taking a weapon with them. Well, that's interesting. Um, I'm sorry, Jeff. I really have to cut you off, but I apologize for making it so short. Um, no, that's fine. Thank but those are those are interesting suggestions. Um, I want to thank my guest today, uh, Crystal Turner, uh, gun violence survivor, and Gail Powell Cope from Moms Demand Action for Gun Safety. I really appreciate you uh, coming by to talk with us today, and uh, I thank you all, all my listeners, um, for listening to WMNF and for contributing so much to our conversation with your calls and comments. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't uh, fit in more of you because our phones were blowing up, and I'm very grateful for your uh, listening engagement. You know, we are totally commercial free here at WMNF only because you care enough to support us. So if you do appreciate the show, please hit the tip jar at the WMNF uh, midpoint page. That's WMNF.org slash midpoint. Uh, thanks also to our volunteers, Jessica Green for our sound and Barbara Fling for our phone screening. Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss next after the NPR News. Next week, we'll be here with a show on ch- children's mental health. Uh, we are WMNF Tampa. Thanks. Turn up all around me.